Welcome, guys, back to the Grateful Living Podcast. Today, I am fortunate to have Katie D'Osti, um, the founder of Viv, an earth-friendly direct-to-consumer period care brand, innovating in the sustainable consumer goods space. She graduated from Boston College in 2019, where she studied marketing and managing social impact. Katie, thank you so much for being on. Yeah, thank you so much. Really happy to be here. Awesome. Uh, so let's let's go back to the the beginning. Set the scene for us okay. where you uh, grew up, maybe your family situation. You know what type of kid you were, things of that nature. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. So I grew up in Tampa, Florida. Um, so a little bit of ways away from Boston, where I'm located now, but. Um, I grew up in this massive Egyptian family um, that was all living in Tampa and my mom's one of six so I have a ton of cousins and we all lived within like 20 minutes of each other so they all very much my best friends so it was a really amazing childhood um, in the sense that I had tons of family and friends and around supporting us um, and I, we, I was a first gen so my family immigrated from Egypt um, so, of course, naturally with, with that comes many um, great lessons of understanding opportunity and we naturally have like, I think this form of drive that is a bit different among kids and immigrants. Um, so that has absolutely shaped me um, who I am and um, was raised by a single mother for most of my life who is a veterinarian, so, so spent a lot of time in a vet clinic too. Um, so that was a really fun part of my childhood. Um, but was really inspired by her and her like work ethic and business ethic. Um, she was also operating and running her own practice. So actually a lot of similarities to entrepreneurship there. Um, and then I had a bunch of uncles who were running their own businesses too. So didn't really know what entrepreneurship was till much later in life. But once I realized was what it was, I realized I had been surrounded by it since day one. Wow. Uh, that's awesome. So uh, let's digest some of that. Let's talk about the Egyptian background. Um, how has that, you know, shaped who you are? Um, do you go back or have you been back? Um, how, or how, if it's not even, I mean, if how prevalent is it in your um, day-to-day? Yeah, no, great question. It's definitely a big part of who I am now as a person. Um, in the way I think about even like little things in my life, like food and culture and music and like appearance are, are such like massive parts of that culture. Um, I've been back about like four or five times now oh, and okay. have some family friends there and such. Um, definitely not someone who goes every single year. I wish I was. Um, <laughs> that would be very, very nice. Most of my immediate family are now in the U.S. And since given um, the past revolution and stuff, everyone's kind of come here since. Um but being, being Egyptian is very fascinating because um, we are a minority, but it's always been like a very um, ambiguous part. And we're kind of between two worlds. We're like a little we're part of the Middle East, but we're also North African and understanding that. And I grew up in a pretty white town, um, of course, in like a, a little town in, outside of Tampa. Yeah. So that was always interesting. And so it's, of course, like the between like the two worlds, but I um, loved learning more about my culture growing up and, and what that meant. And uh, my grandma was a big part of my life. She like helped raise me and she like only speaks Arabic. So 
learned quite a bit of Arabic from her and um, overall I'm just like so thankful of that part of my life but being Egyptian it's very like a warm culture like it's very welcoming people love to host people love to have more friends and I think that's definitely shaped who I am as well as like network is very important and if you meet someone once they you we treat them like family um in Egypt and that's how I feel in my life if I'm networking even for business it's really someone that I want to like think of as a a family member or a great friend that I would do anything for and I think that's kind of how that changed my life awesome awesome you also mentioned your your mom was a single mom uh can you talk about you know what that was like and you know were you you know aware of it you know at at like a very young age that you know it was a different situation compared to maybe the norm uh things of that nature yeah definitely um yeah i was definitely aware that it it wasn't the norm and i definitely wouldn't change my childhood in any other way i thought we were like the luckiest people on earth um and that's just because like for some people it's it's they feel this void there they need to fill by not having like a father figure but i had so many uncles that did that and so in my head i was like oh this is so cool i have like four dads and this based in my uncle's figure. So I was a really optimistic child. I loved life. And I think I grew up fast and understood that like how to not be an annoyance or a burden whenever my mom came home from a long work day and more of like, what can I do to just like be independent and like make her life a tiny, tiny bit easier because yeah. raising kids must be incredibly difficult, um, yeah. especially on your own while you're working and running your own business. And it, it was very much like it takes a village. And so um, I think I grew up quickly and matured quickly, but um, it's it was it seems to be more common thing today too to have like been raised by like one parent, um, but it also taught me a lot about how powerful women are and how much they can do and how much they can do on their own, and um, that has created so much drive as well as passion for just like women's empowerment and creating more opportunity for women to be, whether it be more in control of their body or just control of their career. Um, so it's been more of an inspiration, I think, than anything else. That's awesome. Yeah. It's got to be quite like, especially as you get older, thinking about her working all those hours and then also, you know, cooking and taking care of, you know, kids. That's that's impressive. Definitely. Um, mom's, mom's part. Yeah, uh, she's a badass for sure. so uh i guess what what type of like kid were you uh were you i I mean what activities were you passionate about um and things of that nature yeah so i was obsessed with school growing up um maybe slightly less in high school in high school but growing up i like had perfect hundreds like always did extra credit like it was a nightmare if I ever got a B. I was like one of those kids yeah. for a long time in my life. And I was um, really into tennis. I played tennis um, from the moment my mom could like put me into a camp because it's like, get away. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that was a massive part of my life. It's like went from waking up at like 6 a.m. to go to get to school um, t- and then being in school all day and then going straight into tennis practice for three hours right after and then like driving only home doing homework till midnight it was just 
um, a good way to shape my childhood, but something I spent so much time doing and, and continue to enjoy now and throughout college, like continued by um, teaching tennis lessons on the side, on the side as like a part-time job and such. Um, but yeah, I, I spent all my weekends at tournaments. My cousins played too. So we would like go to tournaments together sometimes. And um, so sports were a big part of my life, but also just like family. Um, every single weekend we would have like get together as a family, which was like 50 people gathering and uh-huh. not like a tiny little um, dinner at a family member's house, yeah. which was so cool. But I thought that was completely normal. And um yeah, that, that was a big part of my life, too. Cool, cool. Uh, you talked a little bit about this, but, you know, was entrepreneurship something that you were thinking about in high school? Um, I mean, maybe even, you know, younger years, or was that kind of like, not like you were just, you know, focused on school and, you know, your social life and tennis or like, was that something yeah. like maybe I want to do one day or is it just like not really that big of a no I thought I wanted to be a doctor for <laughs> most of my life yeah. up until I went in my like junior senior year of college and even when I was applying to colleges like my senior year of high school I was applying to all over the place like I really didn't know exactly what I wanted to do but I knew what I didn't want to do um which I think was totally fine I, I don't I know there's lots of stories of young people like selling things, but I think I was practicing entrepreneurship in different ways. Like I started a club um, in high school and was doing mission trips um, and like service, a bunch of service oriented things. So started like a club where we actually um, collected really old and like beaten up laptops and then I learned how to like fix them um, with a few friends and then we donated them all to a little shelter um, like computer lab in Ghana where I had like visited um, and worked with some of the students there and we, we were working with them we realized that their laptops weren't working and their computers weren't working but I went to such a, like my, my high school was um, very advanced and everyone was had laptops, we were all paperless. It was really um, a great school. So, so many of us had had laptops since like fourth grade onward. Um, and I knew that there were so many of us that were like hoarding old laptops in our homes. And so why not like repurpose and um, was even partnering with like larger companies like Citrix that paid for the shipping over to these laptops. And I had no idea that all of this was like kind of entrepreneurial because the rest was like, oh, this is a problem. We're trying to solve it. And that's like the very basics of entrepreneurship, I think, of like finding problems in the world and thinking of ways to solve them and actually acting and doing it and creating a plan. Um, So in that sense, I was doing entrepreneurship, but didn't realize I was. And by at the time I was applying to colleges, I was really uh, fascinated by like blogging and fashion and and brands, and um, that's something that I wanted to dive deeper in. But was always, given my background and given the service work I was really passionate about, I um, was really interested in more like impact brands and brands that were making a difference with their work, and it was naturally tied into their business model. Um, and so, in in the back of my head, um, as I got to college, I knew I always wanted to either work for a brand that was like that or start my own brand that was like that. Yeah, that's awesome. Especially given what you're doing now and, and 
what you're trying to solve do you you know rem even like remember you know and again feel free to answer whatever you want like it's a personal question but you know do you even remember like your first period and or like you know the yeah. the products <laughs> that you were you know getting and any you know thoughts you had on um you know the products you were buying mm -hmm. oh yeah absolutely definitely remember that um I don't know many people who like don't remember their first period. <laughs> yeah. so I think it's hard to forget. Um, yeah. I thought I, I was kind of funny because I was a little bit um, like later than a bunch of my friends, and and I had, a, I had some and an older cousin who's like my best friend now and was my best friend then, and um, so I was kind of just like patiently waiting, and then I knew I didn't want that because I was like, that's something you have until you're like 50 years old. Like that sounds horrible. Like every month, like no way. Yeah. Um, so when I got my first period, I actually cried for like two hours straight oh, and yeah. it was like yeah. miserable. And I was, and I think it's funny because we have this idea of like celebrating your period and um, like, Oh, you're becoming a woman. Like let's celebrate. Like so excited. Yeah. And I ne truly never understood that. I was like, this sucks. <laughs> like this is annoying. Like I do yeah. not want this. Like, can it go away? Yeah. Um, so <laughs> mine was a very different story, which I still think is humorous. And it's, it's been something I've been studying a lot um, and doing a lot of research on, especially for Viv is, understanding like the introduction process of a period and what the first period's like especially what products you're handed and so much of it is like someone either older than you or a friend or a family member who's giving you something that they trust and are are really familiar with right so from the first time i had gotten my period i had used this one brand and was really familiar with it and then that kind of became my basis of norm for product from the jump, but then there was not all of these like healthier alternatives, organic alternatives. There was definitely not plastic free alternatives and the world has evolved so much um, and the period care space is changing so much. So it's been interesting to see like if people are really willing to switch from the products they use from their very first period. Um, and there's definitely a, an age range that is willing to switch and that's what has been so fascinating and I always just think back to my own my own first period where I cried for hours about it yeah and again again this, these are somewhat personal but you know I guess from you know your work so far is is does it tend to be something that the mom usually just gives the daughter and I mean do you like you know because at, at that young of an age for you know a young girl to do a lot of research probably is is asking too much so it almost seems like you know what i mean like i i, right. if it, I think it, it just seems like i i obviously don't have any experience so yeah um, is it more yeah. of you know the mom introduces you to one product and you kind of stick to that one it's often like that and i think everyone's experienced a little bit different but it's often someone older usually a mom or a parent giving you a product they're familiar with and usually it's like not the perfect fit right away and like not the perfect item for you but people ask around only to people they trust in their close circles like other young girls will speak amongst with each other and other parents and moms will speak amongst each other about like how to approach it how to have this conversation and 
I do, I spend a lot of time um, talking to my customers and especially love talking to like moms of tweens because they're like getting ready for that part of their kid's life. And it's very daunting for them because um, they want it to be um, like a smooth experience. They don't, they want to know exactly what they're supposed to say, what they're not supposed to say. And it's very like stressful and um, a little scary for them. And we don't want that experience in that in pain point really to be something that every parent has faced. And then every kid is at the same time, like nervous about it too. Um, so while we were, were building Viv, this was front of mind because we, um, and we'll get into this about like how it originated, but so much of it was research-based and just trying to like understand the industry. And um, a lot of the times we're seeing that if we can create this personified brand that represents an older sister, which Viv will represent, like she's the someone you look up to and she's bold and vibrant and activist and makes you feel confident and really good about yourself. So um, we were like, okay, if we can create this figure that anybody can have, um, despite who is in, is in their life, um, that can not only educate them, but make them feel more secure about themselves, then why not create it in a brand format and serve it as a product? And so that's like the idea of like Viv as a person. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. So I guess uh, like... Tell us about maybe the last couple of years of high school and how you uh, decided upon uh, going to Boston College. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I applied to a lot of schools, like probably way too many schools. And I probably stressed out my college counselors beyond belief and my parents and everyone in my life. Um, <laughs> was definitely stressed out about college and the idea yeah. of where to go. Um, I think I applied to like over 15 schools and um, I was really fascinated by going up north always. I lived in Florida my whole life um, and was ready to see like fall, like very simply like wanted to see leaves change, like wanted to be in the snow, like wanted to wear like cool jackets and like be a city person. But at the same time, and I was deciding between like schools in New York or DC and Boston at the time and knew I just like craved a big city life. And in my head, I was like, I grew up in Tampa, which then was not nearly as like urban and cool as it was when I was growing up. I craved that so much. Um, and I wasn't sure if going right out of high school, I was ready to be plopped in the middle of a city, but I wanted to be on a campus really close to a city. Um, and then I applied to Boston College's business school and applied as a marketing concentration, which I ended up keeping, which is I think pretty rare among college. Um, but I was also applying to schools for journalism and political science and like all of these random things. Like I just yeah. really didn't know what I wanted to do and yeah, yeah. got into BC and one of the better schools that I had gotten into, but I still had a lot of tough decisions to make. Um, and as I learned more about the business school and like all the things I could do, I was like, oh, let's go here. <laughs> so it wasn't a very like sophisticated decision besides like really loving the business program. Um, but as soon as I got there, I was, I realized how much opportunity was there, um, and how great it was to be able to go into a city. And I think 
a lot of Boston College students kind of stay in the BC bubble, we call it, a lot yeah. of them explore the city as much as they should. And yeah. I was the, kind of the opposite of that. I was like a wannabe BU student. Yeah. Um, and I went into the city like three, four times a week. It's um, hard to do. Wow. That's impressive. Yeah. Okay. I'm glad you can like justify that because for like, people listening that didn't go to Boston College, like going into the city that much like seems odd um, almost. And yeah. Um, you have to take the tea in and the tea in Boston is like not that great. But um, I was also doing things like service in the city a lot where I naturally was going in twice a week to work at a, a homeless shelter for women and oh, wow, things awesome. like that. So that like pushed me out of the BC bubble a lot. So I was super happy at the end of the day that I went to BC. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, for context, for people that didn't go to BC like at least in the fall semester you have at least six home games on Saturdays football <laughs> games so that alone like doesn't like that basically dictates your Saturday for most students okay. um, so yeah you, yeah that's impressive that uh, <laughs> and I definitely say, participated in those what I was really yeah. passionate about was like finding cool restaurants and I started this food Instagram with a bunch of my friends in college and we still have it even today, but it pushed us to like go try new things in the city. And even um, especially cause we didn't love the food on campus. We were all like big foodies, like loved like really healthy food, but also like cool things like new um, recipes and, and styles of cooking that were coming out. Um, so we would through all over the city. We we're in Cambridge and then we were downtown and then we we're in the North end, like, Every weekend we picked like a new location, but we also spent a lot of time like studying in coffee shops on Sundays at like different parts of the city. And, um, that was, that was really fun. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, definitely not the norm for a BC <laughs> student, unfortunately. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, I guess talk a little bit more about how you loved or how you liked or didn't like, um, your experience at at BC, um, you know, mm -hmm. if, if there's, you know, someone out there that's going, to, I mean, obviously it's hard to give advice now because a lot of, okay. <laughs> this is a totally different Very situation, different. but, um, yeah, you know, for, for young women going to, to college for the first time and, True. uh, things of that nature, what were like, just how was, uh, you know, any pieces of advice or oh, things, yeah. that, things that you <laughs> appreciated that you did or things you uh, wished you had done, any, any of that sort of thing? Yeah, and I will say, I think I'm a completely different person um, now than I was going into BC and even more different than when I graduated. Like, you're just, this is such a time in your life where you're evolving and changing and finding what you care about and like finding um, your passions. And so just like be kind to yourself and be patient with yourself because you're gonna, it's gonna be hard a lot of the times. And there was times that I hated being there and I didn't like college. And then I was like, I just wanna be in the real world, real world and like be doing things and like making an impact on the earth. Like I don't wanna be studying for this like random science test. Like that's just like, how I felt at different times in school I felt like I was growing too fast for like my surroundings but you just have to surround yourself by people that also want to grow and also want to be better um which was definitely changing but there's so many opportunities on a university's campus and I would 
definitely recommend soaking up every single one of those to the very last day. There's no such thing as it being too late in your college career to try something new. Um, and I definitely think I did that like to the last couple weeks of school. Like I was um, getting on with clubs, but like my second semester senior year um, was like the first time I got involved in the Center for Entrepreneurship of BC. And it's, there's no such thing as it being too late. And I'd also say just like know that you earned your spot there and you belong there just as much as anybody else. Um, I think for me being in the business school, which was my class was 70% men, 30% women, was often one of the few women in my class, um, especially one of the few women of color in my class. Um, there was not many of us. And so there was um, naturally like I was like more outspoken in my non-business classes and in my business classes I just for some reason was so intimidated and I'm willing to speak up especially those first couple of years at BC um, and I really had to find my stride in those classes because of like frankly imposter syndrome and and those things where you just feel like you are don't belong there or like you feel like you're not smart enough even though you can do the same or better work than anyone around you in that class and they're often just putting up a facade and I didn't realize that um, so definitely know like if you got in there and if you're in there in the chair, no matter what way it was, like you belong and you can do amazing things if you just like work to push imposter syndrome to the side. Yeah, that's awesome. That's great advice. Uh, so at, uh, at some point in your, your college career, um, the idea for Viv started? Yes. So <laughs> my... My friends that were like on my floor since my since day one of college, um, my first year, they like kind of knew I always had this idea in the back of my head because I would as we stayed up late like chatting about the world and life as you do like your first year of college, like you get very little sleep because you're just like talking to people constantly and like hanging out with people constantly. Yeah. Um, well, I so I definitely like sleeping more, um, <laughs> but. At the same time, I always like talked about the idea of like new fibers for period products and like ways we can change that and building brands and like so fascinated by women owned businesses and companies that were like changing the way we thought about beauty. And so that that has always been in the forefront of my mind. And during my senior fall, I took a class called entrepreneurial marketing and I was really um, just taking it because it was a marketing elective, but also I had heard amazing things about the professor and had met the professor before and she was so inspiring and cool. And I was just like, really wanted to take a class taught by her. Uh, her name is Bridget Akinch. And she taught this class that was basically like find a problem and come up with a solution for it. And building out the solution is the entirety of the class. So very classic entrepreneurship. And it was very like marketing research focused. So like really understanding your customer, really understanding what the problem is and what they want to be solved rather than just being like, this is the idea, hope someone likes it and wants to buy it. Like, no, you need to understand your customer inside and out and then build something around them. Um, and so I spent most of that semester just doing market research. I was building out surveys. I was doing focus groups and um, I would just even bring a bunch of my friends together in a in the dorms and like ask questions about periods and take notes and it was really amazing to be on a college campus when you're in a really early early stage of a company like that like more of the market research stage because 
there's so many opportunities. Like the fact that my old marketing research professors were willing to go through and sit down with me and like fix up my survey that I had gotten like 500 responses to because I'm on a campus is something that's hard to do, especially like basically for free um, when you're not on a campus. So for that reason, I was super lucky and got to the final, uh, which was a pitch. So I like built out a pitch deck for the first time ever and made a like fake brand and some like fake boxes on the internet and um, basically made what a make-believe company would be on paper and pitched it. Um, and my professor brought in some like judges from her like startup background and they were like um, giving me feedback after I pitched and I was taking down notes like intensely even though it was technically done like it was winter break like I should have been chilling I was like oh I'm a second semester senior now like no like I was so fascinated by like how I can improve and I think for that's like a new sense of maturity is like being so passionate about something like you want someone to tell you what's wrong so you can make it better um and I genuinely craved like feedback and criticism because I wanted to it to be better uh, so I think in that moment, I realized that I wasn't just like doing a homework assignment or a class project, but I was building a business and I was building something I cared about a lot. Um, and that was a big turning point where I was like, hey, like, I want to do this past this class and seeked out some opportunities through BC and um, applied to an, a little accelerator program through the university, through the Shea Center of Entrepreneurship that was at Boston College. And their accelerator and I'm a second semester senior at this point and our meetings are like at 7 8 p.m on Thursday nights and so well all my friends are like getting ready to like go out to the bars and stuff like I'm going over to the classroom the way we're meeting and I wouldn't have changed it for the world like I thought it was the best I would literally loved it so much and learned like a crazy amount um, and also learned that other BC alumni are so willing and so supportive um, with current BC students. So if you're in a college, know that your alumni network is something you should absolutely tap into because that was crucial for how we developed. Yeah, so um, can you talk a little bit about, you know, your love for sustainability and, and the environment and you know, because that's such an important part of of the story, right? Right, exactly. And um, I should say, while I was going and building this product in paper, what I was researching was if more sustainable and toxin-free products exist. And I was seeing all these like new organic cotton brands out there that I thought were still super cool. And they had like really sleek, like modern branding. And I was like, oh, fun. Um, but they still use a ton of plastic. And I was learning a lot about plastic waste and was trying to reduce my own waste. And from really tiny things, like bringing my own straw to the to the coffee shops on campus, like any way I could, I wanted to. Um, but I, what I understood most was not, like not caring about sustainability is more of a selfish act. And that's something that I, I like don't enjoy. It's you're like, okay, like I'm gonna use this once. It's gonna maybe be more convenient or maybe be simpler, more like easy to grab, but what it does after it's no longer part of your life and you dispose of it is it sits in the environment. It can harm like living things in the sea and other things, but 
more importantly, like the interne- intersectionality of sustainability, environmentalism is crucial. And it's like, well, not caring about the earth doesn't affect you in your life right now. It absolutely affects future people, and like our future generations, but also affects people in more marginalized situations and tends to be minorities and people of colors, um, like neighborhoods that are most affected by climate change. So for me, it was more of understanding the social side and the socialism side of things for the environment and understanding that me as someone who considers herself an activist, if I don't do this in every aspect of my life, um, not going to protests and the Women's March and all these things, if it's not enough, it's like my day-to-day action, as simple as like reducing plastic waste can make an impact. Um, So I truly believed in this idea of like voting with your dollars and I still very much do, of course. And it's like by picking a company that has a sustainable mission and treats their employees fairly and is cautious about their um, emissions and things like that, then you're saying, great, I love what you're doing, keep doing that. But if we continue to pour our money and funds into companies they're doing terrible things to the earth, treating their employees terribly, like have bad morals, then we're saying, we're still saying, you're doing great, I'm gonna give you my money. Um, And so for me, it was about building something to its core that has a sustainable consumer in mind and someone who wants to genuinely vote with their dollars. And so I realized there was no plastic-free options out there that were also better for your body and also affordable. So I was like, okay, let's create one. And I, I was a business student, right? Yeah. So I don't know anything about like fibers and just like how to make a tampon or anything like that. Yeah. Um, but maybe it was the fact that I was just like in college and was like, whatever. Um, I was like, oh, yeah, I'll just figure it out. Um, so, so I went to the science department um, and I go to a teacher that taught a class called Sustaining the Biosphere. Um, and I was like, okay, like this is what I'm trying to do. Like, I know cotton is used prominently, but cotton's really bad for the earth. Like cotton uses a ton of water, a ton of land. Like it's pretty abrasive crop. Um, She was telling me about different fibers and that's where our ideas and wheels started turning. And um, we ended up landing on bamboo fiber, which is what we use in our products right now and had played around with other fibers too. And I was literally calling like farmers and getting in, input and advice during this time, which is hilarious to me now. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, now. Yeah. Um, but what was so fascinating was like, it was often like a byproduct of other things they were growing and they would just like toss it or burn it. And so it was this really underused fiber. Um, and so that's what we were like, okay, like we're not only creating a biodegradable toxin-free product, better for the earth, but we're using a crop that's also way better. So the impact is a lot longer lasting. Um, and then beyond that, bamboo itself is a lot cheaper of a crop. So it was actually more affordable to grow. And while that helps our margins, we wanted to make it so that this product itself is more affordable. And what that means is um, we want to break down this idea that sustainable products and sustainable household goods are only for the rich and only for people that can afford it. And there's kind of this like class barrier to buy sustainable products, which is frankly wrong and shouldn't be the case. And so we can create a product and sell a product and sell great margins on something that 
can be priced higher, but we don't want to price it higher because we're currently priced at the same as all of the traditional, very plastic, toxin-full products. Yeah. Can you talk, you know, so this was a class assignment. Can you talk about, I mean, was there a moment or, or was it just, you know, you just kept going? I mean, like, was there a moment where you're like, I'm going to really seek this out, you know, and, and become, you know, an entrepreneur? Cause that, that's a very yeah. uncommon route as a, you know, even as a graduating senior, um, especially, you know, in, in, at a school like BC where so yeah. many students, you know, you know, end up in New York or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. em- employed in the finance, finance, industry talk about that process um you know going for it yeah exactly um no and that part was really difficult it was like i was a very competitive person and still am a competitive person more with myself than anything else but i always want to be better and do better and i was seeing all these especially like finance majors around me have jobs like before they even entered their senior year of college and in my mind um, early on in my senior year when I was like still just doing this as a class project in the fall, I was like, I need a job and I need one fast. Like people around me have jobs. Like I need a job lined up for next fall. Like, and I need it now. And so I like worked my butt off to do that. Um, but I signed a job offer in like November of my senior year for full time. And um, even after this accelerator during my senior spring and <laughs> graduating a few weeks before I graduated um I still have this job in the horizon like full-time just a big corporate company where I would have been like an entry-level associate um and I um got like an email that I was in the library like I think studying for a final and I got an email that we got into this accelerator the SSC Venture Partners Accelerator which was put together by Morrison Boston College alumni they're awesome entrepreneurs and honestly, like we're some of my biggest champions and biggest mentors still to this day. And they, um, I got that email and that was for the summer. And I was like, okay, like no biggie. I'm just going to push my start date as late as possible. So I was like, okay, the latest um, start date is like October. I'll do that one. So did the whole summer accelerator. And, and that's when I really started like building Viv, I like to say, like identified a manufacturer and started building a brand and on the community and was like getting ready to launch. Um, and so then in October, um, like a little bit before October time, I was like, crap, like I'm spending so much time doing this, like way more than 40 hours a week. Like I yeah. don't know if I can do a full-time job and this, and I know like one's going to give and I didn't want that. Like if I'm going to do something, I want to do it with my whole heart and all of my time and energy. Um, so I pushed back my start date, I called them up on the phone and I was like, giving the advice, like butter it up a little bit and be like, I'm trying to empower women through period care and like trying to save the world. Um, can I push back my start date? And they were like, sure. Um, so I pushed my start date back to January and created like milestones for myself of like what I would need to do to be able to not go to this job. Um, ended up launching our pre-orders in October of 2019 and within three weeks we sold over like 700 boxes just through pre-orders and so it's like okay like 
people kind of care about this. Like things are kind of working, like maybe I should keep going and was hitting more of our milestones and our manufacturing goals and things like that. And um, by early December and January is like lurking in the distance. I was like, realized that I was a point in my life where I wasn't ready to just settle for a job that I didn't care about when I had this great opportunity right now that I was learning a tremendous amount from as well as like growing a lot as a person. And at that point in my life, I was like, I want to value what it means to like grow something and build something. And I want to value learning more than like an entry level position at a big company. Um, so I finally mustered up the courage to like re reach out to my recruiter and end up reneging my full time job offer. And so I, I like scheduled the call and like I emailed to schedule a call. It was probably Monday. And I asked if they had free time Thursday or Friday because I wanted to like prepare, talk to some of my mentors, talk to my parents and like get the whole gist of everything happening. Yeah. Um, but then um, right after I sent that email, my recruiter just like cold called me right back immediately. Um, and I was like, oh my goodness. Okay, um, here we go. And so picked up the phone um, and the conversation probably lasted like maybe 20 seconds in total. Okay. And it was like, I gave my whole little spiel and they're like, okay, that's too bad. Um, we'll cancel your sign bonus check. Good luck with your startup. That was it. It was like yeah. a very short conversation. They were rushing me off the phone. Um, and in that moment I was like, okay, yeah, I made the right choice. Cause yeah. clearly if it, our conversations of what I thought was going to be this massive deal and something I'd spent maybe like a, over a year debating was a 20 second phone call. Like I clearly was just going to be a number at a big company and not really making the impact I wanted to make. Um, and as soon as I like finished like reneging my job offer, I was even more motivated than I ever was before. Cause it's like, this is your job. This is what you have. It no has to work. <laughs> yeah. Like your safety net's gone. Like you're not yeah. going to that comfy little startup, um, starting salary position as an entry level associate. Like, no, like that's not an option anymore. Like you gotta like actually make this happen. And that mindset actually like pushed me to work a lot harder, pushed me to figure out a lot more like structure and everything. So that was actually the biggest um, thing. I almost probably should have done it sooner, but um, yeah, I was really thankful I, I did that. Yeah, yeah. Can you talk about your, you know, your close friends' reactions or your family's reactions? Because, you know, it is such, it's so different, you know, and it's, it's weird and it sucks to say that, but like, it's very not the norm for someone to go after their dreams, like right after they graduate, you know? And I think the word save is used a lot or corporate job is used a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So did you deal with people questioning your judgment or your decision-making or can you talk about that process? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I was so hyper aware of that, especially like being raised from an immigrant family. It's like you go and you find opportunity and you get a job and you like work hard in that job and you work your way up. It, it was, which wasn't necessarily what any of my family members did, but 
it was it wasn't about like taking a bunch of risk and like not having a stable paycheck like that's not what the goal was <laughs> when going to college right like yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's not what any of them wanted but yeah. um i was really lucky i think to have um family members that were just like that after i explained to them how much work i had done and how far i had gotten they were like you got to keep going like you've done too much work you've put too much time into this and I think they saw that I wasn't making a rash decision. And from like the moment I did the class project being like, I'm not going to look for a full-time job. Like I'm going to do this always. Like they saw how cautious I was with the understanding and putting, pushing back my start date. Um, and then when it came to friends, I like was the one that was more embarrassed, I think um, for a while. And I would even tell people when they asked what I did, I told them that I was like working at that job that I didn't go into. Oh, okay. And I was yeah. like, yeah, like people in passing. Um, and they're like, okay, but my closer friends like knew what I was doing, knew what I was up to. Um, and they have been so supportive and like so awesome. like positive. And they're like, they promote um, Viv more on their social media. They talk about it with their friends all the time. And like, they have been like the reason I can keep my like positive morale on a day to day basis. And I think that if anyone wants to go into entrepreneurship, Make sure you're surrounding yourself by people that like want you to grow and succeed and are your biggest cheerleaders. Because I'm like still amazed to say that my friends aren't like, Katie, you're an idiot. Like, what are you doing? Like, no, they're they're just like, you're incredible. This is amazing. I love it. I love what it's doing. And they push me. But when I ask for feedback, they'll also give me that good feedback. So that's been that's been so um, reassuring and also helps you see like who are the people that are like your true friends um, in life too. That's awesome. So it sounds like you had a pretty supportive response among your yeah. close family and friends. Yeah, I was surprised by that, but <laughs> no, that's great. That's great. Um, I guess. Do you want to? We didn't really even hit this, but do you want to talk about the products you offer? You know, explain. You know, educate uh, any of, you know, anybody that's listening to this. You know what your product offering is? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so of course, being an early stage company, we're, we're starting to expand our product line a tiny bit. We started off with only a few products, now a few more. Um, so we do a subscription model for period care. Um, and our products themselves, we have um, biodegradable bamboo pads and biodegradable liners. And those products are completely plastic-free and completely toxin-free. And they're really the only in the U.S. that, are, that exists like that. Um, and what's really cool about, about bamboo and as mentioning how sustainable the crop it is, cause it uses much less water, much less land, all these things. Um, but it's also softer and more absorbent than cotton or organic cotton, which is all that has existed prior among period care. And so what's been cool, and I'm in the process a, a lot of the time of like talking to my customers and getting a, like a really in-depth feedback and they're so impressed with how well it performs as a product and how well it works, how absorbent it is, all these things. Um, and then we also were, have just been like listening to a lot of feedback. And so since we're an eco-friendly brand, we also offer menstrual cups, which is a reusable like zero waste option. Um, and that's something that early on, probably this past like, especially December, January, February, pre-COVID, we were going out into the Boston community a ton. We were going to events like the Boston Women's Market. We were going to tabling at startup events. And 
um, going to anything that revolves around women really <laughs> and like yeah, yeah. either talking to people or having a booth and talking about our product. Um, and we were just constantly hearing like, oh, do you have menstrual cups? Like I always want to try one or, oh, I use a menstrual cup and I love it. And so we realized that that's something that our customer base would probably be really interested in. And we started selling those about like a month or two ago now. And they have been selling like crazy, um, which has been really cool. And yeah. to see that we can like listen to feedback and then get a product they like, and then it performs well. Um, so those are the three products we offer currently, um, as well as we're um, just launching our pre-orders for our tampon option. Because that's taken a lot of like understanding of the space and understanding of sustainability because a bamboo fiber one hasn't existed yet um, for tampon options. And yeah, so we're really excited to get that because that's something that's been really heavily demanded and a lot of customers have been asking for. So we'll be launching that um, this fall as well. Yeah. Do you, uh, I don't know how technical you want to go, but uh do you want to talk about some of the, I guess, the challenges and, you know, how you've been manufacturing this product or, you know, how you've gone about doing that process? Yeah. Yeah. And what's really fascinating about these products is they're technically medical devices, a low grade medical device. Wow. Um, so, they naturally have a lot of regulations around them and um, to build your own takes lots of time and money. And um, so instead we were just very cautious about like who we're going to utilize as a manufacturer, who can adjust to meet our needs, who can adjust to meet our order quantity needs and like these different things like that. And um, there's, we were talked to so many different manufacturers and um, it's funny because there's not that many that make these products, but um, we talked to ones involving like textiles and and anything that had an absorbent sheet of any kind. So um, but then we found among menstrual care brands, like a lot of these big players and brands are, they're all using like the same, like three or four manufacturers. Um, it was all just branding for them. And we were like, we want to do something different. Like we want to create a better product and a different and better brand. Um, and so once we found a manufacturer and this is the one that was creating the most sustainable option that it currently exists because our products are biodegradable and things like that, then um, we knew to move forward with that, uh, with that side of things. Um, so it took a long time to even understand like how to find a manufacturer, where to look. Like, again, this is not in my wheelhouse of things to do, um, like understanding the supply chain of it all. But it took a lot of just like asking questions and just like putting myself out there and like taking risks. And um, I even took like a random trip to New York at one point to like meet our manufacturer face to face. And it was like a 24 hour trip that I like crashed on my friend's couch for. Yeah. Um, so just doing like, you kind of got to do like random wild things as a startup entrepreneur to make it work. And that's, that's how that happened. Yeah. Really. yeah. yeah. Um, I guess, you know, what, what do you, you know, this is a broad question, but what do you like hope for, you know, in the near future and, and maybe, you know, a couple of years yeah. down, like, what's your hope um, for this as the founder? 
Yeah. Oh my gosh. And I have so many like hopes and dreams and, and goals sometimes that like people need to be like, Katie, chill out. <laughs> um, like focus on one thing at a time, which is yeah. something I'm working on. <laughs> um, but overall, like I'm really passionate about how brands can be a voice for people and for women, which was like day one, why I wanted to start a company. Um, and so for us, I really want to see Viv as a brand grow and scale to represent what represent menstruators in general and especially women. Um, and by doing that, I think we're doing a great job of like being activists in our community. But if we can scale that and be even more educational and more empowering, then I that's a whole side of things I want to explore. Because with the brands that are out there, they're definitely like more modern ones, more newer ones, but they're all very like elite in their branding and pricey. So it's more exclusive like energy and exclusive vibes to their brand um, while we want to be as inclusive as possible. And so our brand is like more edgy and bold and cool. And like, um, it's also a bit younger than our audience themselves are a bit younger than these other brands. But we also want to say like, hey, like we're not elite. Like anyone can be a member of our Viv community. Like if you're someone that has a period or if you're someone that wants to be an activist and like encourage talking about periods and I think by creating a new voice and a new level of transparency within our supply chain and within our how we represent the Viv brand, um, that's something I look forward to like continuing to do, as well as just scaling. Because once people try our products, they seriously love them, um, and it's working on getting our name out there more and understanding understanding where our customers are so that we can be there where they need us. Um, so. That's what I hope for as well as expanding our product line and, and listening to people of what they want. Um, and it is definitely difficult um, as a tiny company to have a big array of, of options and at the jump, but we definitely want to work on being like size inclusive, like product inclusive um, as we scale as well. Awesome. Do you, uh, I guess if there's someone out there that maybe is considering entrepreneurship do you want to talk about you know and obviously you talked at various points about it but any steps that you took that were helpful or any mistakes that you or like things that you might do differently if you had a second chance uh anything of that sort oh my goodness yeah um i would say if you're starting out and you have an idea um, become an expert in that problem inside and out and actually talk to people about the problem. You don't have to have a product or even idea of what you want to make before you start talking to people. It's the best to just start and say, hey, like, this is a problem in this industry. Like, tell me about your experience. And then listen and see consistent patterns there. And then once you see those consistent patterns, then you know exactly what you need to build. Um, and then I would say also just understand if you're entering a business or a problem, understand that you should be passionate enough about this problem that you would want to serve this consumer base for the rest of your life. And so for us, it's like, I would absolutely be happy serving menstruators, people with periods for the rest of my life in a variety of ways whether it means like I'll be working on it for the rest of my life or not, like 
these are people and this is a problem that I'm so passionate about that I wouldn't mind like spending our whole life on this. Um, so that's another thing I would definitely recommend. And then building your network, like talking to people, reaching out to people. And I don't think it's, it's ever too early to start um, asking others about how they got started. And if you don't want to start asking to sit down one-on-one with people right away, um, then start researching them. I've recently just become, um, I guess I kind of always was, but like really fascinated by like successful women and powerful women and what their day-to-day routines are like and like how they got there and their story. And um, I think studying what that means and what that looks like. And even you tend to hear patterns through podcasts and, and documentaries about what problems they face. And I think starting there is an awesome way to do that because um, it, it kind of gives you this new sense of hope and insight and it's also very inspiring so whenever I'm like feeling down and um, entrepreneurship is really a roller coaster and a lot of people say that every day is either like feels like the best day of your life or the worst day of your life and that's low-key pretty true um so those days that are harder like being able to go and like listen to how I built this episode of an amazing female founder is what like gives me a lot of excitement and hope um so would definitely recommend doing that yeah yeah no, it's, it's, it helps. Cause you know, when you hear Sarah Blakely's story or something like that, <laughs> yeah. you, know, you know, it's, they were a beginner too once, you know, and so oh, yeah. it, it just creates a, a level of inspiration. Uh, and Guy Ross does a great job. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great job. Incredible. Yeah. Um, I guess, you know, for someone again, that may be considering entrepreneurship, do you want to talk about, you know, and, and, and you can be as real as you want, but like some of the, maybe, you know, during your week, what are some of the rewarding parts? And then maybe what are some of the tough parts? Like you could, I mean, you know, you can talk about how many days a week you work, how many hours, like, so just for someone that may be considering entering this uh, field, or starting their own business, you know, what have been some of the good parts for you? And then, you know, some of the, you know, tougher parts as well. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely like really, really tough parts because especially as a young person without like tons and tons of years of industry experience, um, it's difficult to kind of just like know how to do everything. And so you can kind of get down on yourself or We've, we're doing a bunch of, we had done a bunch of accelerators and we're actually currently in a pretty big accelerator in Boston and um, there's still some of the youngest founders. And um, so a lot of it is like believing that you're the person to solve this problem. Um, And you don't need to just believe it, you need to act on it. So like getting really involved for us with like the um, activism and policy side of periods has been crucial, like my understanding as well as like I'm constantly researching new brands that are in this space. I'm constantly researching new um, studies and policy around the space, new sciences in the space, like what it means. Um, Cause you should be an expert for your customers and you don't have to start as an expert and you don't need to be an expert on everything, but you need to like be well-versed. Um, and I think the rewarding parts is I was a solo founder and so solo founder for a really long time, but I was working alone for a really, really long time. And, up until a few months ago, um, now I um, 
now have a team. Um, so I have, there's going to be now three of us full time starting next week. That's and awesome. it was two of us for the past few months. Um, and then a bunch of like part-time like college students, interns, uh, people just passionate about doing this project and freelancers. Um, but for us, it's, we're all women and we're all like under 24, under 23 years old. Yeah. Um, and being able to see how, like much we can do has been really inspiring and like how creative everyone is. And it's truly because we're the people that are most prepared to solve this problem because we're building a brand for people just like us. Um, and I think that is really crucial. And if you're getting into entrepreneurship, it's, you're going to grow a lot as a person and you're also going to have to take on new roles that you've never had to do before probably. So, um, understand that you don't need to be an expert in everything but you just have to ask questions and like get people to help you and people are so willing to help young founders um and new founders and honestly anyone in the startup space like I absolutely love talking to people that are in like the idea stage it's very exciting to me um and I think other entrepreneurs feel the same way so yeah, yeah. and I think in terms of like how many hours to work and like how many days it's there's this idea that I think I was struggling with for a bit that like I would see a morning um, routine of someone that's like they get up at 5 a.m. every day and like read the news and then like meditate for 10 minutes and then go run 10 miles and then come back and then like answer emails. And I was like, I'm not doing those things. I'm freaking out. And I was yeah. like, I need to like wake up at like six and like go yeah. run 10 miles and like meditate. And I like wasn't doing any of that. And like, that's okay. Like you yeah. do not need to be someone you're not. Um, and I think there's one thing about like creating structure for yourselves. And I really like creating at least a nine to five. It tends to be much longer than that during the week um, schedule, but like, so are other jobs. All my friends are in early parts of their career and it's not uncommon for them to have to late nights to work either. So it's not mm -hmm. like, I'm like, oh, poor me. Like I work so hard. It's like, we're all working really hard. And we all have our, our goals and our aspirations. And as long as you're passionate about the problem, but also checking in and like practicing self-care and like know when you need a break to prevent burnout is really crucial. Um, which honestly, like there's no rhyme or reason or no science behind it. Like you just need to check in with yourself constantly. And it's a lot of trial and error. I've absolutely had stages where I'm like, I feel like I'm burning out. Like I need to take it easy. Um, and then I'll take a couple of days where I like have a more normal work schedule. Like it's just understanding how you operate and function. Yeah, that's great advice. Was there uh, anything else that I uh, didn't ask that you wanted to talk about? I feel like we covered a lot. Um, <laughs> you know, this is fun. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, I think that's pretty much it. Cool, cool. Uh, so. Katie, I just want to acknowledge you and uh, the awesome work that you're doing. I think that, you know, you saw a problem and uh, you're solving it and you're putting yourself out there and, and living your dream. And I hope that other people find inspiration from your story. Uh, for those uh, people that want to support you, uh, how can how can they do that? Yeah, yeah, no, this has been super, super fun. And if you want to be more involved with Viv or the community, first of all, check out our website to learn more about what we do and our products. And that's vivforyourv.com. 
Um, and that's also our Instagram handles are most active on Instagram, but all of our social media platforms are at Viv for your V. Um, and then my emails and everything go, if you try to reach us, go directly to me still. So you can reach us pretty easily out there too. Cool. cool. And th there's a Facebook group too, right? That they can. Yeah. Join. So we have this Facebook community called let's talk about periods. Um, so if you're really passionate about understanding um, the menstrual world a bit more or the policy side of things or the product side of things, you can absolutely get in there and engage a bit further with us. Um, and that's a very like day one close knit group of people that we love having more people be a part of that. Cool. Cool. Thank you so much for being on Katie. Yeah. Thank you.